and welcome to High Heels and Heartache. I'm your host, Kendall Ann Combs. Thank you so much for joining me today. So on this episode, I had the privilege of speaking with Dr. Lakita Carter, and we talk about apologizing. We talk about the types of apologies and what your apologies reveal about your emotional intelligence. It was a really fun conversation. Dr. Carter is a blast to chat with. So coming right up, Dr. Lakita Carter. Okay, I'm here with Dr. Lakita Carter. Hi, Dr. Carter. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks so much for being here. So before I hit the record button, we realized that we went to school almost like kind of right down the street from each other. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. It's always wonderful. Um, Most people don't know this, but if you are from the Baltimore area and you meet someone else from the Baltimore area, you always ask the same question, which is, where did you go to high school? <laughs> high schools are big here. High schools are big here. So Dr. Carter and I, we had we had to get that out of the way first before we could, you know, move on to to the interview to make sure we weren't rivals or anything. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So I found you because you wrote this article that I absolutely loved called What Type of Apologizer Are You? What your apologies reveal about your emotional intelligence. And I loved the article. It had me laughing. It gave such great information, but we're going to dive into that. But first, I need to know, what drew you to the field of mental health? Um, I think the best thing, the thing that most drew me to mental health was that it aligned with the skill, my skills and my values. I am um, a, tr- I'm a listener. You know, I get um, a lot of satisfaction out of listening to people. Contrary to what most people think, therapists actually don't tell people what to do and give advice. So um, for me, it was about doing the things that I enjoy, which is listening and connecting with people on deeper levels. I've sort of always been the person that even much older people come to and, and sort of process with. Uh, process their problems. And even as a child, I would have older children say, what do you think about this? So um, there's just something about me that that I guess people find um, in me as a good listener. And so that made sense to me. And I'm just fascinated by the human brain. We can, the brain can rationalize doing some of the most amazing things for other people when no one other animal would do them, do that thing, you know, sacrifice, sacrifice things that no other animal would sacrifice. And the human brain can also rationalize doing some of the worst things ever mm-hmm. to other people that no other animal would think to do. So the brain, you know, our brains are the most complex brains on the planet. And that in, in studying it, the more every class I took, the more I was interested. Yeah. Well, I can just from talking to you a couple minutes, I can tell that you're a great listener. So you're probably an awesome therapist. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So my first question is because this term gets thrown around a lot and I feel like we need to define it because I feel like it's changed over time. So what exactly is emotional intelligence? Okay. So that's a good question. So emotional intelligence is your ability to understand yourself 
and understand others and how those two things or those two, two entities really interact. So there are sort of four major components of emotional intelligence. You have self-awareness. So again, that's knowing you and self-management. How do you engage your own feelings? How do you know your own feelings? Can you articulate them to yourself? Maybe not out loud. Um, how do you know your reactions? What are your triggers? Like all of those things are related to the self part of emotional intelligence. And then for, in terms of others, your, your social awareness and how you manage relationships. So people who have high emotional intelligence are people who really know themselves. They know what triggers them. They know what they feel more often than not. Uh, and they can articulate that, but they also know how to tweak themselves so that they get that they get the, the highest level of connection they can out of people they wanna connect with. And and vice versa, when they, when they don't need to connect with someone, they know how to um, share parts of themselves or share their experience enough so that the other person doesn't feel wounded, but they walk away knowing that, you know, they're cared for, but this is not, you know, something, a relationship or a task or an action that I'm going to pursue. Oh, I love that. I've never thought of that last part too. Like I've always just seen emotional intelligence as the way that we treat people that we're having any kind of relationship with, whether a friendship, you know, family or intimate relationship, but I never really saw it as it's also the way you treat people that you don't really want that kind of relationship with. Yeah. I mean, there are times when people walk into our lives and, you know, you have to make a connection, for example, for whatever reason, because you're working on a project together, but you, you sort of based on their personality style and characteristics, you know, like I would never choose to be in a relationship with this person, mm -hmm. friendship, romantic, whatever. I would never choose to be in a relationship with this person, but you still have to be, um, or at least emotionally intelligent people would mm -hmm. still want to be respectful and they'd want to be kind and cordial, but they also wouldn't want to send messages that we're friends or that I want to end, I want to finish this, this portion of our work together and continue it. Oh, that's a they great point. They got to do that sort of without being um, unkind and without being mean. Yeah. Oh, that's really important. So I was I was going to ask you, how does the level of emotional intelligence of your partners affect relationships? So we know how it affects people you don't want to be in relationships with, but what about how it affects the people that you're in relationships with? Yeah, I think when you have high levels of emotional intelligence, you can do something that's really, you know, an important factor in intimacy. And when I say intimacy, just for our listeners, intimacy is closeness. Um, we're not, you know, most people equate intimacy with um, sexual relationships, but we can be intimate with friends. We can be, in, we can have intimate relationships with our pets even. Um, it's about the closeness that we feel. Uh, and so I would say that, and when you think about intimacy, there are a few things that create uh, a highly intimate situation or relationship, and one of them is vulnerability. So highly emotional, intel emotionally intelligent people can be vulnerable with others without shame or fear, or mm. I'm going to add the or, or they can be vulnerable with others with shame and fear and work through that. So they oh. do it anyway, right? Like we, we all, we all have to, that's the difference between people who are courageous and, and brave, right? They're scared. People who are courageous and brave are not, not scared. Yeah. They are scared. They do it anyway. 
And so yeah. vulnerability, there are times when people just, they are, um, they can offer a level of vulnerability that, um, uh, that, that they need to connect and other people need to connect with them and not be scared. There are other times when highly emotionally intelligent people offer vulnerability, they are scared, but they push themselves to do it anyway. Yeah. And that definitely does lead to that intimacy. Correct. Yes. All right. Now, if you're going to have, like we said, an intimate, just meaning close relationship with someone, we got to work on our conflict resolution. So yes. that that leads me to your article, because I love it that you break down six types of apologizers. Mm-hmm. So we're going to go through them and you're just going to kind of talk to me about each one, which one's a good idea, which one's not so good of an idea, and their, the your rating of their emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. So the first one, this one really made me laugh really hard. So the first type of apologizer is the I'm going to send a gift apologizer. <laughs> so break that one down for me. Oh, geez. Okay. So this person, you know, you are in a, in a situation and they say something that really upsets you and you have um, communicated that it upsets you. Maybe you communicated it because of your face. Right. Um, Or maybe you actually said verbally, like, hey, where did that come from? And they say, oh, I was just joking. Right. So in that immediate response, there is no acceptance of responsibility or accountability. Okay, And so then as as time goes on, let's say this is somebody that you interact with pretty frequently and they notice that, okay, so you you haven't called, you haven't texted in a week. This person's response is to send a gift. Like, uh, mm-hmm. oh, just thinking of you or, oh, I got tickets. You want to join me to the Ravens game? Of course, go Ravens. Um, you know, like, no, no, <laughs> that's the answer. No. So I'm sorry goes a lot of what a, a long way for a lot of people. And the gift um, can sort of be offensive for a lot for some people. So it could be it could feel like a friendly gesture you giving it. However, um, it could communicate that you're trying to buy someone's affection or you're trying to to buy their them out of their feelings. And feelings are a little are, are more legitimate than just some Raven tickets, even though some Ravens tickets, even though those would be good tickets to have. <laughs> you really do need to um, to be vulnerable in this situation. So this po- apologizer gets a two out of 10. Oh, ouch. Yes. yes. Because they recognize that they need to do something. So they're not completely oblivious. They get some credit for that. But they are um, they are missing the mark completely because they are not doing something that, that creates vulnerability and deepens that relationship. So it goes a long way to say, I'm sorry, because then the person knows that you care enough about me to invest in that hard conversation. So it it's okay if like you know that you have done something wrong to give someone a gift maybe after you apologize. Like, hey, I know I really messed up there. I'm very sorry. And I'm hoping to rebuild our relationship by going to a Ravens game. That's different than just look at things that have magically (laughs) fallen in my lap that I want to share with you. Yeah, like, sure. You can certainly, especially if that person's love language is a gift and you know that, absolutely, you can send a gift. But the gift should not replace that, which is what you're responsible for doing, which is accepting responsibility for how you are, how how hurtful you are, you were. And keep in mind that your, um, 
your opinion about how hopeful, hurtful you are to someone else doesn't really matter. Oh, that's if, so important. I love yeah, that. Like, if, if you said, if someone said they hurt you, you hurt their feelings, then they're the only person who gets to feel their feelings. So if they said, if they said that you hurt their feelings, then you can apologize for hurting their feelings. That mm-hmm. doesn't mean that you were, I think sometimes people get apologies confused with intention. Mm-hmm. You. <laughs> I hate it when people say that wasn't my intention. It doesn't matter. You still hurt matter. my feelings. You still hurt my feelings. Yeah. So you can say, I'm sorry. I hurt your feelings and know in your heart of hearts that you did not intend to be hurtful. That is not the point on the table. The point of the table is that you were hurtful. And in my field, we we talk about that often and we use it. We talk about it in this way. There is a difference between intention and impact. And so a lot of times people asking for an apology, they are talking about your impact and people avoiding giving an apology are talking about their intention. But that doesn't matter. Missing each other completely. Yeah. Missing each other completely. All right. So two out of 10, a gift does not replace an apology. Yes. Okay. Oh, this next one. This was one that my mom used to really come down on us for when we were little. The I'm sorry, but. Mm-hmm. apologizer. So what's going on with that one? Okay. So I like to say, keep your butt to yourself. <laughs> I, like to to yourself. <laughs> I don't, I don't need your butt. I got my own. Okay. <laughs> I got plenty of them. So I don't need your butt. What I need. So these people are people who they deflect, right? They offer it. I'm sorry, but it's followed up with a butt. And a good rule of thumb is that when you use the word, but you were saying, um, this is what I'm going to give you first. And then everything after the word, but is what I really mean. So I'm sorry. I hurt your feelings, but you hurt my feelings too last week. So it doesn't work. So then, then you should have said something last week. Like right now we're talking about my hurt feelings and you're talking about your hurt feelings only once my hurt feelings were brought up. Mm. Not a good idea. So again, this apologizer gets credit for saying the words, I'm sorry, but they also sort of pull it back. They undo it. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's a defense mechanism. um, One of Freud's defense mechanisms, undoing. So they pull it back and then it falls flat. Yeah. The, the, The receiver is sort of sitting there like, I mean, they said, I'm sorry. Why don't I feel um, connected? Why do I feel um, satisfied with that? So um, for these apologizers, keep your butt to yourself. <laughs> I'm sorry. And then put just a period at the end of that. Period. There is no <laughs> comma after I'm sorry. It is a period. And if there's words, if there are words after I'm sorry, um, what I like to teach my kids is I'm sorry for, and then sh- restating what it is that you're sorry for so that the person understands that you're not apologizing for, I'm sorry you heard Ooh. me say that I didn't like you. I didn't mean for you to hear that. Mm-hmm. Like, let's back up. I'm sorry I used hurtful words about you would be the right way to, to apologize. <laughs> so I the I'm sorry, but apologizer, they get a four out of 10. They get a four out of 10, yeah. Ooh, still failing. No, still, still failing. Still failing. <laughs> 
All right. The next one just, it leads right into what we were just talking about. Yes. So the, I'm sorry you felt that way, apologizer. Oh no, this one's not good. Oh my gosh. This is cringeworthy most times when I, when I hear it. Okay. So they, this, this apologizer does not want to accept that they hurt someone in a, in a neg or they affected someone negatively. And I get it. A lot of people don't want to accept that because there's shame attached to it, particularly when you didn't mean it. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of shame attached to, oh my gosh, I hurt your feelings. Well, then what does that say about me? Mean people hurt people's feelings. And then they get into the shame spiral, which by the way, all of this is completely unconscious. So they're not thinking, I don't want to be shamed. I don't want to be shamed. It's just unconscious that they, that they go with, well, what kind of person hurts people? Okay. A mean person, an unkind person, um, a self-absorbed person. So then if that's the type of person that hurts people and I hurt someone, then I must be a mean person, an unkind person, uh, you know, a self-absorbed person. And then we start, then once we have that personalization, like this is me, we back away from it completely. Not me. That's oh. not me. So the easier thing to say is, I'm sorry, you felt that way. I'm not unkind. You heard me as unkind. So it's like shifting the blame on the person yes. that's been wronged. Yes, yes. So- um, again, they get credit for understanding that an apology is needed, but it's really a disingenuous apology. Um, and in some ways, I would say that for many people who have a person in their lives who will apologize this way, they would almost rather not hear it. Like, I know your apology isn't genuine, so just just save it. Keep it. Because um, it, it creates almost some anger and angst in the, in the other person. Um, you can't, don't apologize for my feelings. It almost seems like I shouldn't feel that way, but since you do, let me apologize so that we can move on from this. Yeah, it's like you're blaming them. Yes, yes. Um, you You can apologize for poorly impacting people and remove the shame from it by self empathy. I, you know, Renee shared that I was not kind in this moment. It is bothering to me. It bothers me that I missed the mark on on sharing uh, or on saying what I was supposed to be saying in a kinder way. And that makes me a human being. Mm-hmm. That's the conversation you have with yourself. That makes me a human being. So we can release the shame by identifying and, I, and connecting ourselves with the human condition, which is prone to being hurtful to others. Mm-hmm. And then apologize for that, that I am not unkind. I had an unkind moment. And those are two separate things. A characteristic of me is not mean, but these words were mean or they were received as mean. And I did not intend for them to be received as mean, but my impact was mean. So I'm sorry that I impacted you so poorly. I didn't, I didn't mean to do it, but I recognize that that is what I did. See, right now I'm like, my mind is blown because I always thought the, I'm sorry that you felt that way. Apologizer was just trying. They felt that they were perfect kind of thing. I did. I never connected it to like, oh, wait, maybe they don't want to feel like they're a bad person. And that's why they say it that way. Yeah. So they apologize for your stuff. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, like 
my, you know, my feelings don't really need an apology. They are what they are, uh-huh. right? But what I'd like you to do is acknowledge that they exist and they exist as a, because of um, something that you brought up and that could be my own stuff, right? Mm-hmm. But if I'm sharing with you that you hurt my feelings, it's really simple. I'm sorry I hurt your feelings. Period. Yeah, period. <laughs> period. Oh my gosh. Oh my God. The next one makes me insane. Okay. The next one is the, I'm a pretend nothing's wrong apologizer. These people are the ones that really put me over the top. I cannot stand this. Yes. This is a, this is a tough one and it's particularly tough. I will tell you what I found is that it is particularly easy to do for people who have lower emotional intelligence And it is particularly infuriating and harder to manage for people who have high emotional intelligence. Mm, Thank you very much. Hair flip. (laughs) (laughs) It is a clash of, it's the clash of clashes. Like, yeah, the person who pretends that there's nothing wrong is, you know, that person is saying you have shared with me or I am clear that I have hurt your feelings in some way, whether it's because you have shared it with me with your face, or maybe I saw you crying, or maybe another family member said, yeah, Lakita's really upset by what you said. To pretend that that doesn't exist means that you are discarding my feelings. Mm-hmm. And that creates in me um, a lack of vulnerability. I cannot be vulnerable with someone who is going to discard my feelings. Yeah. And I always feel with this one, it feels very manipulative. Yes. Like it feels like a whole situation just wasn't, is not going to be addressed. It's just going to be like pushed under the rug and we're just going to continue to move forward. And we're just going to pretend that didn't happen. And to me, that makes me feel like very uncomfortable. Yes, it does. Again, for people who um, are, are more comfortable with vulnerability and are emotionally intelligent, it's it's much easier just to say, I really didn't appreciate the email you sent me. Mm-hmm. Um, it was attacking and it was blaming. Mm-hmm. I left feeling unloved by you. Your email made me feel unloved. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. My intention was not to make you feel unloved, but I recognize that you did, that I did because I you just told me and mm-hmm. I believe you. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry I made you feel unloved, right? So that first part, you keep to yourself. That wasn't my intention. Crap. Avoid this, the shame spiral. Well, I'm not an unloving person. I'm an, unpl- oh, if I did something unloving, I must be unloving. Avoid that. I did not intend, internal conversation. I did not intend to be unloving. I don't like that I was unloving to someone I love. External conversation. I'm sorry I was unloving. There we go. Just address it. Period. <laughs> <laughs> you- uh, just address it. Do you find that the people who pretend that, that there's nothing wrong, that they like haven't been taught conflict resolution, maybe they haven't seen how people can have conflicts and grow from them? Is is, is that what you, you tend to see with these people? Or like, how, how do you get to the place where you think that it's better to just not discuss something that's very bothersome rather than kind of... I hate to use the word confront it, but I don't mean it like confrontation. I mean, you know, just like just having a a conversation about something. How how do you kind of get to that point? 
I think it's a combination of things. I think one, it could be poor conflict resolution skills. Um, Sometimes I see that people who are on this street, they haven't seen, they haven't seen a good model of Mm. fighting and then, and resolution. Usually they see the fighting part. Got it. And so, and and when I say that, I'm talking about childhood wounds. So many times, uh, particularly children, people in our generation and older, they heard their parents argue and then they were fine. (laughs) (laughs) Got it. Got it. They they never saw that extra little chunk there of like the actual resolution. Yeah. It's one of the things that, um, and I can, I can share, I don't think my parents would have a problem with this, that that's what, that's what I experienced. My parents were, would disagree. And then they would be fine the next day or, you know, a couple of days later, they would be fine. And I remember thinking to myself, gosh, even as a child, again, probably, which led me to this field, gosh, how did they get there? Yeah. And so for, for me, when I, when I got married, one of the things I share with my husband, we were talking about our, our childhood, you know, stuff is I really would like to, our children to see the process of fighting. Mm. I do not think that people, I think parents should are, could disagree in front of their children. Absolutely. Because that is the real world. Coworkers disagree, um, you know, bosses and, and, and employees disagree, people disagree. So to, to, to shield your children, to whisper an argument, <laughs> um, you know, is because your children will hear you argue, I think is not healthy. I and think- they can tell, your kids can tell you're arguing anyway. They can, right? Like they the, the, the energy is like, oh. The energy is off, right? And so it's almost like you want to pretend like your children aren't human beings that can't perceive when yeah. we know that children perceive. And in fact, they are probably more perceptive perceptive than adults because they don't have all of the bare boundaries around, you know, about how socially social expectations and how you can be, right? So they perceive things, they feel things, and they know when you're off. But one of the things I shared was I would like, when we disagree, I'm fine with disagreeing in front of our children, right? We're not getting into knockdown drag out fights. We don't name call, right? That's a that's a, a marriage rule. We don't name call, right? We stick to our feelings. We stick to what each other said and how it was impactful. And then they hear the whole thing. Well, I'm sorry. I thought I was saying this, but you heard this. Okay, that's not what I was trying to say. I poorly worded that. This mm-hmm. is what I was trying to say. All right. Well, in the future, could you not say it that way? Because when I hear that, this is what I hear. I naturally hear this. Okay. I can do that. In the future, might it be helpful for you to ask before you do that? Yes, I can definitely do that. Okay, great. Are we good? Any other, you know, is there something else that I'm missing here? No, we're good. I'm okay. All right. Great. I love you. I love you too. Right. Seeing the whole process of apologizing helps people understand that there's another side to it and that there's not some sort of magical leap. Yeah. And, you know, I love that you're modeling that because it's also showing that, like, just because you made a mistake and you hurt someone like you were talking about before, it doesn't mean you're a bad person. You might be you might feel bad about hurting someone's feelings, but you don't have to be ashamed of it because it's the human condition. You're going to hurt people's feelings. Correct. Correct. Yes. It's, you know, to, to be anytime, anytime there is vulnerability in the picture, hurt will come. Mm-hmm. It just mm-hmm. is, it's, it's a natural part of vulnerability. That's hurt a is really great a point. Part of the equation. And if, and if you're 
pretending that nothing is wrong <laughs> when you've hurt someone, they're definitely not going to want to be vulnerable around you. It would definitely be just their natural instinct to pull back from you because you don't feel safe. Correct. Yes. It's a safety issue. It is an emotional safety issue. I love that you use that word. Emotional safety is very important in relationships that are supposed to be intimate. And when we can't, when we don't have predictable emotional safety, right? So there are certainly times when our partners, or our friends, they say something that make, makes us feel unsafe, right? They mm -hmm. make a comment and you're like, oh, I didn't think you thought that about people who have divorced parents because I have divorced parents, right? I don't, I'm, I'm just sharing that as an example. Yeah. Um, I don't, I didn't know you thought that about uh, bisexual people because I'm kind of thinking I'm bisexual, right? Then that creates a space of emotional unsafety mm -hmm. okay, or emotional danger. But when you have true vulnerability, you can say it made me feel unsafe when you made that statement. My sister is coming out or I'm on that street. Mm -hmm. It made me think we won't be friends mm -hmm. because I might be bisexual or yeah. I do have divorced parents. Um, and that person, if they are, have a high enough and emotional intelligence can say, oh my gosh, I, I can't believe I was so hurtful. I was, this is what I was thinking, but, uh, that really kills me that I, that you were sitting with this for the last two months. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned it to me. Thank you. Right. You can start with the emotional safe part of mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. And I definitely see why in your article, you said the, I'm going to pretend nothing wrong. Nothing is wrong. Apologizer is the worst type. Complete because 10 out, zero out of 10. At least the other ones that aren't great. At least there's an acknowledgement of that there something is something happened. wrong. Yes, something happened. Even if you don't agree that it was hurtful or not hurtful, whether it was red or blue, something happened. Every other apologizer, they something, something has happened. But with this person, it's almost like, like it was like a um, blip. Yeah. Like um, Thanos. <laughs> <laughs> Snap the finger and, and it just didn't happen. Like, nope. Or like men in black. Yeah. All right. So our last kind of bad apologizer. Okay. Is the empty promises apologizer. So why is this a bad form of apology? Okay. So this apologizer means well, and they, they know that they, they, they impacted you poorly. However, um, it's a miscalculation to say, I'm never going to do that again. Oof. Because, and I mean, unless you can guarantee it. Yeah. Right? So one thing you definitely don't want to apologize for is hurting someone's feelings, like hurting someone's feelings and then saying, I'll never do that again. Because you're gonna. Because vulnerable, when there's vulnerability in a relationship, you will. Yeah. Right. I'm sorry that I, um, that I called you a name in our argument. I didn't, I, I. I shouldn't have done that. Mm -hmm. Shouldn't have done that. Um, and I will never do that again. If you know that you are a person with loose lips and, mm -hmm. and that when you are angry, things just fly out of your mouth. That's the last thing you want to say is I'll never do that again. Because so when you're talking about that safety, 
Because then the next time you get in an argument and it happens again, now you have like a compounded problem because now you're going to be like, well, you said you would never do that again. And here we are in the same spot. For all of your, our listeners, I'm shaking my head vigorously. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah, you are in the, in the process when you are, when you say, I'll never do that again. And there is a high or even moderate possibility that you will do it again. You are building, literally building brick by brick, a wall between you. Because mm. every time you do it again, it's, you said you wouldn't do that again. What is with you? Like every time we disagree, I am not, you know, I'm not stupid. Mm-hmm. Every time you don't agree with me, I'm not dumb. Like, why is it that you can't just argue and not call me names? You said you wouldn't do that, right? This is when just apologize, <laughs> just apologize. And if you want to make lasting change, then you have to, you have to put some action there. Um, I recognize that I go for the jugular when I am upset. I am going to do the following things to address that behavior. Mm-hmm. I know it's not acceptable. I would not want to feel it if I were you, right? And the following things can't be try harder. <laughs> that's not it. <laughs> like, I thought that's what you were doing. It's yeah. try harder, right? So it's got to be, okay, I'm going to start, I'm going to maybe, I'm going to try therapy because I we've been talking about this for years now. Or I'm going to start journaling when I have these the um, really negative feelings so that I can figure, you know, I can get out my angst before I talk to you. Or we're going to need to take, when I ask for a timeout, can we have a timeout? Because at that point, I'm feeling myself get um, beyond my control. And we should always be in control when we are, when we are, um, when our hearts are not in the right place, we need to be we need to be extra careful about our level of control. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's actually one of the things that I'll, I'll share um, personally. When my husband and I first got married, that was something that he didn't love, that he he wanted me to change. When I am not happy, I am quiet. And it's because I need to control my thoughts. Yeah. Because I don't want things being said that I can't undo. So uh-huh. I'm quiet and reflective about how I contributed, how he contributed, why I'm so upset, where was the trigger, what parts of this conversation, that wasn't that bad. But when you said this, that, right? Like all of that is what I'm thinking of in my silent moments. But for him, the silence was withdrawal. Oh, it, it probably felt like stonewalling. Yes. Like you're not good enough for me to even talk to. And I was like, oh my, when he finally put it that way, because he kept saying, why are you so silent? Because I'm reflecting. And I'm thinking to myself, why does he want me to reflect? <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Self-aware people reflect. <laughs> <laughs> and then he he said to me at, at one point, it is unloving to me. You, you're, the the silence makes me think you are, are you're, you don't want to be connected. Oh. Oh no. Not at all. I'm actually trying to figure out how do we can reconnect. Like, yeah. what do I need to say? What did I jump to a conclusion? Did I did I overreact? Um, did you were you really insensitive? How can I how can I put this in a way that you hear what I'm saying? Not um no no I for me I was doing the most loving thing, which was controlling myself. Right, but it looked different to him. But it looked so different for him, right? And him saying that was like, oh. 
well, that's not my, that's not what I want you to receive. Yeah. Our goal is for us to get back on the same page in a healthy way as quickly as possible. So if you're feeling unloved, unloved by me in that moment, that would actually go, we're going opposite directions. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So I need to, I need to shift. I need to shift how I, how I respond when I am not, when I'm upset or when I'm not happy Mm -hmm. for you, because I don't want you feeling unloved. Yeah. It's so interesting because really all of this is just conflict resolution. It is conflict resolution, but you have to be able there, but there's still emotional safety there, right? Mm -hmm. For us, because um, I had a history of being very loving, which is nice because then when you do something unloving, the person has something to fall back on. It's like, okay, Mm -hmm. this is so, so aberrant. Maybe I should investigate when you have a history of unloving behavior and then you do something else on unloving, where's where's the soft place to fall there? Yeah, exactly. This is is consistent with what I know. And at a certain point, I don't want to continue feeling this way. And so our relationship will end. That's the demise of the relationship. Yeah. All right. So now here's the best type of the apologizer, which is the validating apologizer, which is actually kind of what you just modeled about when you would have those arguments with your husband and you would pull back because you were trying to use your emotional intelligence, but he would receive it in the wrong way. And then it would just kind of spiral from there. So you did a great job of showing how to validate in an apology. You have to, no matter, okay, if you care about someone, And if you want, if you are invested in them and you are intimate with them, you have to communicate, even when you're unhappy, that you are of value, that you mean something to me, that I care about you, that I love you, even when I'm unhappy. And so that is why the validating apologizer gets 10 out of 10. I am really uncomfortable with what you said to your brother. It made me feel seen. And I asked you not to share that. You mm-hmm. broke my confidence. And I'm wondering now if I can trust you. That somebody saying that to you is very vulnerable. It could be just as easy for them to say to themselves, I can't trust this person and I am done. Yeah. So if he would come back and say to you like, well, you should feel that way or I was just joking or I mean his family what difference does it make right so what you got fired he's family yeah I'm sharing with you that there's shame around me getting fired that I'm still working through and I don't want to be seen in that way I am I'm now exposed you have picked off the scab that I was trying to create for myself and I feel exposed right Mm -hmm. I'm now oozing and I don't want to ooze I'm trying to take care of myself through this termination and you have set me back. The best response is, I'm sorry. I care about you too much to have hurt you in this way. I didn't mean to, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. In the future, I can check with you if there's something that I am not sure would be a problem for us to share, you know, for me to share, I can check with you. Yeah, not that I'll try harder. Yeah, no, I'll try harder. Mm -mm. No, I'll try harder to keep your confidence. Like, what do you mean? Just shut up. (laughs) Not just sound funny, but like, just don't say anything, right? Like, what do you mean I'm going to try harder? Just 
don't say, don't share things that are super personal. Um, and if it's, if you're not sure if it's super personal, then ask, like we can be in the same room with your brother and you send a text message, like, is it okay to bring up you, your, you know, your job situation? If you don't get a response, because I didn't see the text message, don't bring up. Yeah. <laughs> if you get a no, don't bring up the job situation. If you get a, you know, if, if you get a yes, then you can certainly bring it up. But that kind of situation needs to be, you need to be, you need to tread lightly. Yeah. But I, I really like that about the idea of taking accountability because that's what's missing out of all of the other ones is that mm-hmm. there is really no, I mean, there's a little bit, but there's, there's even like pretending nothing happened is sort of taking accountability because you know that something happened, right? But this one is really out there with the taking accountability of it's very clear. Like I'm validating your feelings. I'm validating that you are important to me and that I'm going to do better in the future with by doing these specific things <laughs> and not just quote unquote trying harder. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've heard people say, I've heard many people say like, I don't like apologizing or I hate apologizing. And that is just so always baffling to me because that means that you don't like being wrong, right? And nobody likes being wrong, but we are all wrong at some point. We all have said something that we shouldn't have said, or we've done something that was insensitive, or we didn't say something and we should have said something. We all like, it almost feels like, the person is saying, I don't, I don't want to be human. Mm -hmm. Not want to apologize means you haven't done anything wrong. If you haven't done anything wrong, then how are you human? Mm -hmm. Right? Like, it just seems to me like a very um, um, unsophisticated way of approaching yourself. Mm -hmm. And you just like, what is, what is the feeling that's brought up from you when you, for you, when you say, I'm sorry. And if that's shame, Right. Then let them work on that. Then work on being wrong and not shaming yourself when you are wrong. Yeah. Because you're shaming yourself for something that 100% of the human population. (laughs) Yeah. It would be like shaming yourself for breathing. Yeah. Everybody's doing it or shaming yourself from, you know, some other common function that everybody is doing. So I don't, yeah, I don't, I, I'm always curious, curious when someone says, you know, I don't like to apologize. And it leaves me wondering like, what's, what's, what's been the the trauma in the past that, um, that creates this angst for you and saying two words. And it's usually around shame Mm -hmm. or a, a fear of vulnerability. If I'm vulnerable, then people will know me and I will have to be, I'll have to keep up this facade of, of vulnerability and vulnerability makes me feel uncomfortable. Yeah. So that goes into my next question, which is like, how do we raise our emotional intelligence? Cause it feels like if we're, it's almost like if we're raising our emotional intelligence, we're going to be better at apologizing. Like it'll, it'll go with it. (laughs) So what can we do to be more emotionally intelligent? That's a great question. So um, there are a few things. Number one, there are books on emotional intelligence, right? So you can read about how people, um, how people have um, experienced a lack of emotional intelligence and then 
the impact. I think it will people who have um, lack, who have less emotional intelligence, they really don't understand the impact of their lack of intelligence in that area. Uh, and sometimes just sharing with them when you don't apologize, when you um, sweep things under the rug, I feel unloved. Mm-hmm. I feel disconnected from you. And I contemplate each time you call me a name, I contemplate whether this is a relationship that I can sustain each time. Mm-hmm. And sometimes knowing your impact can help with changing or at least motivating change. So other than books and knowing your impact, I would say one of the great things to do is to get into therapy Yes, because uh, therapists require, therapy requires you to raise your emotional intelligence. It requires you to show up in a way where you are vulnerable. If therapy is not working, doesn't work for you, then one of the reasons, there are a few reasons, but one of the reasons could be that you are not allowing yourself to access vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And if you go to therapy because you can't access vulnerability, that would be the place to start. I am not vulnerable at all. I am I'm cold. I am um, removed from the people I love. There's a, there's a distance that people have shared with me or that I feel that I want, I want to, I want to remove. I want to remove that distance. I want to feel more connected to people. Mm-hmm. Um, so therapy is a great place to start. That's one of the reasons why therapy doesn't work for people. There are several, you know, sometimes it's just a, a fit, you know, a mismatch of therapist and, and patient, but other times it's about you wanting to show up in a space to do hard work and not do hard work, which would be like showing up to school and not wanting to learn, but yeah. then arguing that you go to school every day, <laughs> like going to therapy, like, you know, like going to the gym doesn't really do anything because you can stand in the gym. You have to use the equipment, you know, Yeah, have to use the equipment. So um, yeah, going to therapy and actually using it for its, for its value is something that can really increase your emotional intelligence. Yeah. And there's like little things you can do. Like I've been working on that. um, It's easier for me to get mad at something than to figure out like what was the step before mad. Mm. So I had to like print out one of those charts that you okay. get for like kids that has like all the different emotions. emotions on it. Yeah. <laughs> and I had to be like, okay, right now I feel rejected. Uh-huh. That's the actual feeling that I'm having. But to me, that feels uncomfortable. That feels, oh, I don't like to have that feeling. It's much easier for me to feel mad than rejected. So that's cool. just, it's just something so little, but since I've, I've I had a therapist point that out to me ever since I've had that kind of like aha moment, it's so much easier for me to just e- exist with other people because now I'm seeing like, oh, wait a minute. I actually don't feel mad right now. My feelings are hurt. Yeah. Um, a, a pro- feeling identification is one of the key steps of emotional intelligence, knowing how you feel, being able to articulate that I am feeling rejected now or I'm angry. And sometimes anger is anger. You, we are mm-hmm. truly, There's nothing under the anger. Many times there is something under the anger and anger is the, one of the easiest emotions to display, right? We yeah. have so many ways that we display anger, yelling, kicking, screaming, fighting, angry faces, middle fingers. Like we, I mean, we could just display <laughs> anger in 
a million ways, but ask somebody to display rejection. Yeah. I can't just crying. Maybe right? that could be sadness. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. That could be disappointment. How do we display reject? We it it's so the anger is just easy. Yeah. But right? rejection it's, is still this it's still a feeling. Yeah, it's still a feeling. Anger is a feeling, rejection is a feeling, both valid. It's just so much easier to display anger than it is rejection. And then once you just, and then sometimes we, when we are doing one thing, we have a physical manifestation of rejection, like crying, but then we're, we're thinking to ourselves, well, I don't want them to think that, you know, I, they, they're walking away thinking that I'm sad. I'm not sad. I feel rejected. I feel disappointed. Right. It's so, it's so hard to display, um, a lot of emotions and so we generally go with the easier ones Mm -hmm. elation yeah easy yeah oh my gosh well this was so wonderful and i've i've learned so much from you just in our short conversation so how can the listeners find you sure so you can follow me on instagram and facebook at dr ld carter and i'm also on linkedin but the other thing you can do is um, you can uh, follow you can follow my my uh, column on psychology today, which so I love. Called thank you. My column <laughs> is called um, Inside Intimacy, and I talk about all things intimacy from sexual health and wellness to re- friendships and relationships, to romantic relationships, divorce, everything. Excellent. Well, I'll link all of that in the show notes. So thank you so much for coming on again. I really enjoyed our conversation and come back whenever you want. Thanks. It was great to be here. And this was a lot of fun. Thank you so much, Dr. Carter. to Dr. Lakita Carter for being on this episode. If you would like to get in touch with Dr. Carter, head on over to the show notes where I have linked her blog, all her social media, and also her website. If you are in a toxic or unsafe relationship, there is help available. Please call the National Domestic Violence Hotline. That number is one 800 799-7233. Again, that number is 1-800-799-SAFE.